Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. Welcome back to another episode here on the MedTech Talent Lab. I'm uh, Mitch Robbins, your host, and I am the founder and managing director for a company called the Anthony Michael Group, where we help organizations across the life sciences, companies in areas like medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other life science areas to build best-in-class technical teams, areas like regulatory affairs, quality, engineering, et cetera. And uh, I'm excited, as always, to bring you another guest today. His name is Mr. Dave uh, Nazaro. Uh, Dave is the Senior Director of Hardware Engineering and Advanced Technologies at Insulet Corporation. In this role, Dave oversees the electrical, mechanical, and materials engineering groups who support advancements within the company's current platforms with a core focus on new product innovation. Dave earned his Bachelor's of Science degree in Mechanical Engineering from the University of Massachusetts at Lowell. And for the last 17 years, he has progressively risen through the ranks, having worked for a variety of organizations, including Fluident, Apple, and of course, Insulet. Here's a fun fact for you. Dave was actually on the product design engineering team that was responsible for the development and launch of the first generation Apple Watch. For those of you unfamiliar with Insulet Corporation, it is an innovative medical device company based in Acton, Massachusetts. The company was founded in 2000 with the mission of improving the lives of people with diabetes, specifically through the use of the revolutionary Omnipod insulin management system, which delivers without any tubing in an automated fashion, virtually pain-free, and it uh, has two straightforward parts that communicate wirelessly. Insulet now also leverages the unique design of its pod by tailoring its Omnipod technology platform for the delivery of non-insulin subcutaneous drugs across other therapeutic areas. So without further ado, Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here, man. Mitch, yeah, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to participate. Yeah, and so, you know, the, Dave, the reason I had you on the show is the premise is all things talent within uh, the medtech industry, right? And so you and I have had a variety of conversations offline just about your own career, the career journey you've been on uh, all for what did I say, for the last 17 plus years or so, and really your outlook on building high performance teams. And so I wanted to take the opportunity to have you on the show because I think you have a lot of great things to say in a variety of these different areas, all talent related. And so I, I, I want to start with uh, you yourself, okay? If you look at your background, I mentioned companies that you've worked for, Fluidant, you've worked for Apple, you've been with Insulet, you were with them um, in a previous life, and now you've been back for several years. But if you look at the trajectory, the trajectory of your career, you have found a way to consistently be promoted and rise up the, through the ranks. Talk a little bit, if you would, how have you put yourself in, in the right position at the right time for the right promotion? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I guess it starts at the beginning of just, you know, identifying the kind of work uh, you want to do, the kind of problems you want to solve in your career. You know, being an engineer, you know, I, I seek certain technologies that I, I want to be involved in. Um, so finding the right company profile and targeting that, you know, something that's going to fit you is going to start off by 
setting you up for success because you're happy to be there. It's the kind of uh, challenges that you gravitate towards. And ideally, you know, you're also surrounding yourself with people who are similar to you. And uh, that, that'll also help, uh, you know, help you get excited and motivated, you know, for the challenges that, that the company is trying to solve. Um, some of the other things that I tend to do, um, you know, despite it being a little uncomfortable, I, I tend to say yes to a lot of things, <laughs> you know, so that may just be, Hey, are you interested in, you know, diving into an area that you're not an expert in? And we know that, but you know, we need someone to lead it. Uh, we need someone to go in and understand what are the challenges and just kind of work through the, you know, traditional problem solving approach, build building the team up to solve the, you know, the problems, getting the right people in place, uh, you know, those types of situations. Um, and then building expertise in areas of need and then owning it, you know, cause oftentimes, you know, I'm working for companies that are doing something new or different or are just growing. Um, so there's a lot of needs and, you know, they are asking people to step up and become experts. And that's, what I've tried to do, you know, as an engineer, um, you know, really immerse myself into the technology, you know, understand the challenges and, you know, really try to generate really great solutions. Um, you know, so th that's kind of the, the starting approach that I take, you know, to get myself kind of just in the right environment um, and, and in the right um, type of problems that I know I'll be successful in. Um, you know, again, other things that I, I tend to bring to the table is, you know, don't identify problems without bringing a plan to solve uh, or bring solutions for that matter, right? So always being open to, uh, you know, identifying what issues are really the core and, and attacking them. You've brought up a lot of good stuff, like I knew you would. Um, and so I kind of want to recap what you said so far. Going back to the original piece you said is really trying to figure out the company that you want to work for and what problems does the company solve and what problems could you help the company solve, right? And it's interesting you say that because what, if you're a systems engineer, a program manager, design, whatever, whatever type of engineer you are uh, or regulatory, whatever the function area is, the job and the skill set is fairly similar from company to company. Right. But I think that passion piece or that interest in the company's product and what problem do they solve for the market that they serve is huge because I think you're that much more engaged. Is that what you were saying about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, that's that's where I was going with it. Um, you know, I like to be creative. I like to lead creative people. That's that's partly why I'm responsible for the hardware at the front end of the funnel. There's a lot of programs that the company explores and we we tend to be the beginning of of that um that journey you know so i surround myself with people um that have that same kind of curiosity and desire to create solutions that nobody else has um it's part of the reason why mm -hmm. I, I went to a place like apple um mm -hmm. you know it's it's really um empowering and uh you know it's also very uh creates a lot of energy in the work that we do. And uh, th there's a lot of problems that have not been solved and need innovation for that matter to, to solve them. Well, that's the other thing that I wanted to touch on. So you said, you know, you have a tendency to build experience and gain expertise in an area of need. 
right? And you mentioned that a lot of times you're working for these companies that are very innovative and they're constantly coming up with new ideas and they need people to step up and be subject matter experts. Um, is that work that as far as becoming the subject matter expert in a new area, is that done during the majority, excuse me, is the effort that you put in to become the subject matter expert done mostly during work hours? Or are you also having to put in off hours to keep up with your other responsibilities? Because I can imagine you're currently, you know, at some point you're responsible for something, but you're also trying to develop this new skill set. Talk more about that if you would. Yeah. So um, it's a balance, right? Um, in management, there's a lot of meetings and there's a lot of communicating with the team. It doesn't uh, allow for a lot of extra time to educate yourself. Uh, so a lot of it does happen after hours, you know, a lot of reading and, you know, getting involved with a community of, you know, the products that you're, you're working on. Um, you know, being in diabetes is a large community there. Um, almost everybody knows someone affected by the disease. Um, there's lots of, um, literature, there's lots of, um, seminars. Uh, there's certainly a lot of standards and things that kind of guide, uh, products that serve that community, but, um, you know, looking, looking deeply at a problem, usually, uh, the full problem is not seen at face value. It's not till you have, uh, you know, something in hand that usually gets you thinking about, um, you know, what did I miss? And, you know, it's even sometimes it's just getting, you know, an FDA review for that matter to, to poke holes, right. You start to think about, well, well, we didn't think about that. You know, what else could we do? And it begins to kind of build a velocity around, you know, solving the problems that are needed and that are right in front of you, but also the ones that maybe are not present or not obvious to uh, even people who are very skilled in the domain of, uh, of the space that you're trying to, you know, generate solutions for. Definitely. And one other thing that I, you said that I just love, and it kind of gives me goosebumps in a way because it's so consistent. I've interviewed so many leaders over the last few years for different reasons. And I always ask this, you know, when it comes time to how did you get to where you are today? And one of the consistent things, like literally every interview I've done is I put myself out there. I tend to say yes. I, I volunteer for projects that are outside of my scope, or I jump on cross-functional teams that, uh, you know, maybe I would other people would have felt uncomfortable being part of, or I volunteer to lead a project and be the project leader. Literally out of 50 interviews, maybe I'd say a hundred percent of them have that answer in it. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, so obviously you're very deserving to be where you're at today. You're building these high performance teams. You've got a lot of experience doing so, especially on the engineering side. I'm curious when you are, um, Looking at talent, do you value a technical skill set more or a soft skill set more, especially within engineering? Yeah. So uh, can I say both? I mean, it's really both. Uh, I, you probably think I was going to say something like that. But, you know, we start with the technicals, right? We, we look for the pedigree. Um, we, my interview process and my managers that report through me, their process and in interviewing is, you know, we have very technical gates to get through. Um, and then once, you know, if you, if you can get to, uh, in face, uh, or face to face interview, we are very much interested in the soft skills, you know, how they are, you know, will they culturally fit our team? You know, are they good ethical people? Right. It's hard to obviously pressure test that because interviews folks are 
are tending to say a lot, you know, some of what they think you want to hear, but uh, we do look for evidence of both. Um, we give folks design challenges that they have time to work through. Um, types of problems that are not something you can go and Google and answer to kind of thing. Um, and then when we get them in house, you know, I actually spend a lot of time looking at, you know, is this person, do they have the organizational skills, the communication skills that we need? You know, are they, do they gravitate towards teams or are they more looking to work in isolation, you know, and depend upon the kind of role, obviously, you know, changes what we're looking for, but, you know, at the end of the day, we, we want people that are kind of, you know, more of that well-rounded total package. I know it's, that's probably what everybody wants, but, um, we are very selective. Um, and it, and it can take time to fill certain roles on our teams, but, you know, at the end of the day, we are tasked with a pretty, you know, large responsibility to create products that are safe and effective and, you know, people can rely on, uh, put, you know, even put on their children, um, and certainly we have to build a business around our technology and be able to grow and thrive. And, you know, the, the type of work that we do at Insulate is, you know, it's, it's challenging, uh, for, for many, many reasons. So it's, we try to, you know, we try to put a lot of effort in the interview process because when we, when we get someone in, we want them to be successful and, you know, frankly, an environment like ours or an environment like Apple isn't necessarily for everybody. And, you know, when they get in there on day one, we want people to be excited and on day 100 also still be excited and not feel overwhelmed. They just want to be kind of in their element and ready to produce and contribute and, you know, be a great team player. So a couple add-ons to what you just said and, and clarification on my end. If you had two people, one had a stronger technical skill set, the other one had, you know, adequate technical skill set, but way better soft skill ability, it sounds like you would gravitate towards someone who's not necessarily the best of the best technically, but is, can do the job, but has a much better, uh, soft skill. Is that, is that what you're saying? In, in some case, in, in many cases, yes. Um, if we can coach that person, uh, if we can train them and, and team them up with mentors and other folks on the team, they may get that technical competence. You know, we hire a lot of young folks uh, that aren't technical experts. They're technically capable people, mm -hmm. um, you know, but we are looking for, we love people that can grow, especially at Insulate. It's a, been a very fast uh, growing environment, rapidly changing, you know, people that are going to be uh, flexible and limber uh, to, you know, all the changes that, that come with, you know, a, a fast growing environment. So, yeah, I think um, you can't really change the core of who people are, you can teach them and train them and, and get them more, um, proficient in the art. Um, so I, I would say that's probably accurate, Mitch. So, and then you mentioned, you know, once you get through the kind of the gate, so to speak, the technical, uh, um, aptitude, and then once they're on site, you really try and measure for the other pieces, organizational ability, things like that, teamwork, do they prefer to work on their own? How do you measure that stuff? What, what, uh, um, do you use assessments? Are there specific questions that your team has come up with? Talk more about how you actually measure that and make it, make a decision on somebody's uh, aptitude in those soft skill areas. Yeah. So we do a few things. Um, we tend to have, uh, presentation uh, where, where folks can 
present in front of a group. And then we break out into um, either single or, or paired uh, interviews where each group or each person that's interviewing has a specific area that they're responsible for. And there's certain questions we tend to ask, you know, similar type questions. Uh, and then people can go a little free form uh, as they start to, you know, get answers. They may ask different questions. Um, and then, you know, at the end, we typically roll everything up kind of objectively and score each category. And we look at, you know, a number of candidates, you know, we roll up a score. Do we always hire the, the highest score? No, we may find that someone is, you know, they bring some other skill that we maybe didn't think about, or, you know, they, um, they just have a way about them of, you know, generating energy. You know, we think that they're going to be a great ad to the team mm -hmm. or, you know, we don't want everybody to be, you know, the technical expert. We want, we want to, again, just like we want to have a rounded uh, individual, we want to have a rounded team. So in some cases, you know, when we hire, have a big hiring um, movement, we'll have a number of profiles that we're looking for. And then the hardest one to hire is the last one um, because they're, we're typically looking for the, that one person that fills all the gaps of all the other folks that, that we have already um, hired and maybe we didn't get everything we wanted there. So um, it's to, to us, it's okay to have different uh, strengths and weaknesses within the team, but collectively we want to be pretty buttoned up and have everything covered so we can be successful on the job. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that you guys use a scorecard. It sounds like you have an interview matrix where people ask certain questions and then there's scores across, uh, across from, you know, the different uh, types of questions and, and what the uh, interviewer scored them. And then you look at the scorecards objectively to see where these candidates came out. I love that. Um, so we mentioned the, the depth of experience that you have, especially in leadership over the years, Dave, what have you identified that separates a top performer from the rest of the pack? Top performers, you know, they, they first and foremost, most top performers are, uh, they have leadership qualities, you know, whether it's leading a project, leading their own work or leading teams. Um, so we, we tend to find people uh, that want to lead tend to be top performers and they're super critical of themselves and the people and, and the work that they, they do. Um, so, you know, we'll start, we'll start there. That's kind of the first question is, you know, are they, uh, are they leaders? And the second question I might ask is, you know, are they looking to grow? Like where, where are we on their journey for growth? Um, I love to say, I love hiring uh, like CTOs. Everybody on my team is going to be a CTO someday, you know, um, we're just a short stop on their journey to getting there. And, you know, everybody, you know, may think like a CTO or have that ambition, but, you know, really knowing um, where people want to go helps, um, you know, people that want to continue to grow or do more, or maybe be, you know, the top uh, problem solver for the company. Um, you know, that allows us to put them in situations where they can be successful and kind of showcase their ability. Um, you know, I've seen in time, you know, at times really great performers just being used in the wrong race, so to speak. You know, maybe they're doing some kind of work that doesn't clearly showcase their full potential. Um, 
maybe it's something that uh, is is not the, the level of work. It's not as motivating. It might be a, a task more than a, a project, for example, right? So, um, you know, getting getting folks that uh, know where they want to go, that are able to showcase their abilities, that you know, obviously um, top performers, you know, on on a team where we're constantly inventing and solving problems. I love people who are innovative. Um, maybe they've got a history of, you know, filing IP or solving problems or, you know, creating pro uh, products that we all can see and experience in the market. Um, they get addicted to that high. Um, you know, they've, they've been successful and they want it again. Would you say that it's 100% true that the top performers that you've identified over the course of, of your career have all been self-motivated self-starters who consistently want to figure something out or take on more? Or if, I'm just curious, or have you noticed that that's not necessarily the case where there's very talented people, but you have to push them in the, you know, you have to kind of mold them or push them? It's definitely not 100%. Yeah, there's there's been individuals on my team and other teams where, um, you know, without the right leadership um, or mentorship, maybe they just kind of go unnoticed. And for that matter, we just have to be observant, you know, identify, uh, you know, the, the great moments in which they shine and then pressure test it, you know, um, help them along. Cause maybe they aren't self promoters. Uh, maybe they're not going to speak up and say, Hey, this, this is too easy for me. Or, you know, do you have anything else that's, you know, uh, call it front and center for the company? Like I want to solve the hardest problems the company has, throw them at me. Um, not everybody is, you know, going to take that, um, that step and say, Hey, I, I, you know, I want to be put in these situations, but you know, when we see, um, examples of people really doing well, um, we try to exacerbate that and get it out of them and see how much more they can do. And, you know, we've seen a lot of great people, um, grow and, you know, that started off as just engineer to manager to director, you know, they continue to find their way and their sweet spot and they just need a little bit of a jump start. I love that because oftentimes you think, I, I think a lot of times the idea of top performer mm -hmm. uh, can have some synergy with, you know, self-starter, self-motivated, go-getter. That's not necessarily the case here because what you're saying is there's a responsibility on the leader's part too, to help help almost like, um, water, the, water the seed, so to speak that, Hey, the, you know, there's a seed here and the seedling needs resources and needs, you know, whatever it may be to flourish. And it's the leader's responsibility to sometimes identify that and then cultivate it, which I love. Cause I haven't thought of it that way. Yes. Obviously the leader's there for the things I just said, but I've never thought about it in the context of a top performer. Cause I never, never stop to think about, Hey, you know what, there could be somebody, you know, for lack of a better way of describing this in the corner, who's actually doing really awesome work, but needs a little bit of direction, a little bit of that extra push to, for themselves to see what a top performer they can really be. Yeah, exactly. I think that's well put to go back to the other end of the spectrum. Of course, all the other things that you mentioned, people who are self-promoting people who are right. Like, there's a, there's a high likelihood that those are the types of people who are going to continue to, to flourish too. Right. But I, I think it's really kind of identifying talent and knowing or seeing more in them than maybe they see in themselves. And I think 
I, I think a lot of times, you know, especially in the technical fields, there's a lot of introverted people who are very, very good at what they do, but don't necessarily know how to promote that piece to have it recognized or what to do as far as the, again, for lack of a better term, politicking, right? And so a leader who's kind of been there, done that, who can identify that type of talent and see in this person with that they really want to do big things and they're capable of it, how do you kind of pave the way and help mentor on that piece that they are uncomfortable with? So top performer can mean a lot of different things. And I appreciate what we're saying here because you're kind of covering the the different ends of the spectrum. Um, I was going to say, if you go back in time yourself, is there anything that you would do differently, uh, you know, having the, the, having the insight that you have now, is there anything you would do differently uh, along the career journey that you've had to date? Yeah, this is a great question, Mitch. Um, I mean, I, I don't regret any of the decisions that I've made or the journeys that I've been on. Um, you know, I think uh, what I, what I really enjoyed about working at Apple was it was like, it was like the right kind, right company, kind of wrong time for my, you know, for my future plans of, of building out a family. Um, Apple is very much, um, you know, they, they hire a lot of young talent, very talented folks from, you know, uh, local, uh, universities and even some Boston universities, uh, and all around the world for that matter. Um, given the, you know, it's a, working at Apple was a lifestyle, not just a job. And it was really exciting. And there was so many things that you learned, but it, it's very, um, it's a big commitment. And uh, from a time standpoint and from just time away from home for that matter. Um, in my situation, I kind of wish I had gone to Apple maybe five years earlier. I would have had a little bit more time that I would have stayed. Um, but that's just more of a personal choice, you know, for me, you know, I, I don't regret any of the decisions. I love working at Insulate. Um, a lot of times we, we kind of call it the Apple of, of med devices. And um, I think we're doing some really great things and I love the challenges in my team and, you know, the leadership. I think the company is, is, uh, is a great place for, for people um, that want to solve problems that I described earlier. So that's kind of it. Just, Going back in time, say, I wish I had done this a little sooner versus not that I would have not have done it or, or do, done something completely different. And the truth is, man, you probably wouldn't have been on the Apple Watch team if you'd done it sooner. Who knows? Another question that's kind of uh, along these lines is, what's your thought on, on uh, mentors and mentorship in general? Have you sought out mentorship over the years outside of the companies that you've worked for? Have you naturally aligned with certain leaders or your own boss? Um, over the years internally, or, you know, what's your general philosophy on, on the idea of mentorship and what it means to you? Yeah, I think, I think, uh, men getting, you know, being a mentor and a mentee, you should have both roles. Um, especially if you want to be a leader. Um, I do have outside, uh, the company mentors, uh, they, they were at one time, uh, folks that I worked with you know, whether it's insulate or other companies. So I stay connected with those folks. Um, they're, you know, they've, they've got a great head on their shoulders, uh, and have helped me kind of navigate, you know, transitions in my career. You know, um, one of my great mentors when, uh, when I was kind of leaving more of the technical side to get into management, you know, he said that there's a little bit of, you know, in that growth, there's a little bit of kind of leaving, not completely behind, but a little bit behind a lot of what made you great, why people saw the greatness in you to do something that's 
different. And maybe a little bit, again, it's that uncomfortableness, right? You're in a new environment. You're kind of putting yourself into a different role, but being okay with that, you know, and uh, having that mentor as a sounding board uh, has helped, you know, um, you know, having peop- other people internally uh, that can, you know, what you may be a mentor to them and they're a mentor to you, um, you know, c- you know, talking to people and, you know, kind of working through problems together, um, sharing experiences, things like that, I think, uh, go a long way. And then, um, you know, and I try to mentor, you know, folks on my team, other people in the organization, try to keep an open door policy where, uh, anybody, you know, I try to be as approachable as I can. Right. And, uh, I've had people reach out and we keep, you know, some periodic one-on-one on the calendar and we check in and we talk through problems and all sorts of things, you know, things that whatever is on their mind, I tend to let them guide the discussion, but, you know, working through, um, their challenges, kind of building out a plan and, and getting them comfortable with, uh, the roadmap of their role, their job, uh, I think is, is, a, is a big part of that. So it's, it's one thing to be, you know, act as a mentor because you're their boss, right? But the mentors that you're just describing over the years for yourself, if, um, who isn't, a, it's not a supervisor employee relationship. Have you proactively sought out people to act as your mentor and ask them, you know, Hey, would you, you know, would you be my mentor or has it not been as formal as that? I'm just curious your process for how you've identified these people in your life that have kind of helped carry you forward. Yeah. I mean, again, um, in my situation, we can't, it's not necessarily that everybody's, my mentors are people that, um, either manage me in the past, um, or work very closely, uh, with me. Um, they were also likely in a position of, of management or, um, you know, authority, et cetera, within the company. Um, and some of these folks I worked with many years ago, um, and have long since worked with them on a day-to-day basis. Um, and I've identified them as, as mentors, you know, I've said, you know, I really get a lot from talking with you. I think, you know, I've expressed my, you know, my point of view on how they see things. I, you know, I think there's a lot of, uh, things I could get from the relationship, you know, and, you know, it's whether it be at a, some frequency or cadence or just, uh, every now and again, we'll, we'll connect. And I always get something from those people because they're certainly special, you know, in my eye, because they, they fit me well. Um, you know, and I've also participated in things like mentor programs, mentee programs, where they're, you know, you take a, you take a test, right. Or you, you answer certain questions about things that you want to improve on areas that you want to get involved in. And they kind of match you up, uh, with mentors. And those have been successful too. And I think those help, um, get you out of your comfort zone. Maybe you're, you know, maybe your mentor is not, you know, I'm in engineering, but maybe your mentor isn't someone that has an engineering background. You know, and and mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to gain from that. So I, I encourage it completely. Um, you know, to anybody that that wants to, whether keep growing, you know, understand how to manage the day to day, whatever it may be, mentors are, are a great thing to have uh, for everybody. Yeah, I ask you because I, to me, I think it's a vital thing, and I and I love what you said about the diversity of sometimes having mentors outside of the scope of your. Uh, your expertise because they offer a different vantage point. And, you know, mentors who have already been there, done that, um, 
within the technical vertical is great, but I think somebody who's maybe, you know, a couple steps ahead of you, who's not even, has no idea about the technical piece, but has a lot of insights as far as the other areas that you're trying to um, uh, raise, your, um, enhance your career, whether that's, you know, getting promoted or becoming, you know, a, a member of senior leadership, whatever it may be. I just think it's a huge asset. And I do think that there's a responsibility on the mentee side to do their part to offer as much value as they can to their mentor. Cause it has to be, you know, it has to be, yes. I mean, we pass it down uh, or pay it forward as they speak, as they say, but I also think that it's important that the mentee does as much as they can to add value where, where possible. Um, I want to, I want to wrap up with this question and I'm, I'm so excited to hear your perspective on it because everybody's got their own stories, but after interviewing so many people over the years, where do you see people going wrong during their interviews? What's, What's some things that have come up, you know, either as a common theme or some crazy things that you've seen? Where do people go wrong during their interviews? Yeah, I'd say it starts with um, our mission. Like we've had we've had folks come in to interview and they haven't um, they haven't learned anything about the company or the products or patients we serve. Um, you know, both Apple and Insulate are very customer focused, like people love to work at these companies because they love the impact that the products bring to people. Um, so to kind you know, to come in to an interview kind of cold Turkey, not really know much about our products, not know much about where we're going, the mission. Uh, and this is all public information, things that they can just Google search, um, is kind of the first yep. misstep with me. You know, I, that tends to be one of my first questions. Um, so why, why are you interested in interviewing for a role here? You know, what, what got you excited? What, you know, aside from the types of things that you might want to do that you saw in the job description. So that, that to me is, is the first misstep. (laughs) And we've had, we've had that happen quite a bit. Um, you know, the other, you know, is there's general preparation, you know, for a technical, if, if they've, Obviously, they've had a technical phone screen with us. Maybe we've given them a design challenge. Now, if, if they haven't um, prepared themselves for further technical discussions, um, you know, maybe they, they didn't know what to, to study or, or get familiar with. But, you know, we are looking for people who know their stuff. Um, and, you know, and we, we don't dis- discount people who don't have all the answers. It's, it's completely okay. But I think... Um, People who who can be honest that they don't know something, I love that. You know, if they just flat out say, "I don't have an answer. I don't have. A, I don't. I don't know where to take this problem." Um, that's great. It's the other people who kind of try to fake it. <laughs> you know, they try to fake their way through it. Is um, I, that tends to uh, raise a lot of flags. It's really interesting what you pointed out because I would say the number one mistake is not knowing why you want to work for that particular organization. A lot of people lean on, it fits with my skill set. Um, it's good for my family because of the location, or, you know, I've heard good things, but they don't, they haven't taken the time to truly understand what is the, what is the mission of this organization? What are the values and how does this line up with what you want to do? Or what about the product are you excited about something specific to the company? Many, 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 too many people. You're saying it yourself. You see it on the inside. 
fail to take, you know, to do their due diligence. The other thing too is when it comes to, especially on the technical side, when we talk in, in my business, when we prep candidates, if somebody's asking you questions and they have a technical background as well, they will continue to ask you questions to see where your skill set ends or, right? Because they want to see, okay, where does this now, how, how much knowledge does this person truly have? And it's not necessarily getting the, all the answers right, like you said, but it's more so, are you humble enough to say, I don't know, but resourceful enough to say, here's what I would do to go figure out the answer. Here's what I would do. I would talk to this person. I would research this. I would ask this versus how can you BS somebody who knows more than you do in the first place? And they should. <laughs> so that it's funny that that uh, for, to hear you say that, because it sounds like it happens a lot in your interview process, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, it, it happens. It, it doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. And, um, you know, we, we like I described the gates in the discussions, there's a lot of discussions and in, in things that happen before people get to the formal interview. So we, we try to do a really good job up front, but it, it happens. Definitely. Listen, Dave, I really appreciate uh, you coming on the show and all the insights that you've shared. You've had an amazing run so far, and I know you got a lot left in you for a future growth and opportunity for yourself and all the great work you guys are doing there at Insulet. If it's okay with you, what we'll do in the show notes is we'll give a link um, to uh, Insulet so people can check out what's going on at the company and then happy to also provide a link to your LinkedIn profile in case you know there's folks who have enjoyed what they've heard and want to learn more about uh, what's going on with you in the company. But uh, nonetheless, really appreciate you being on the show today. Great. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.